You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Oh man, so we're starting a brand new series today called Witness, How Zero Can Change Everything. And maybe you're here, maybe you're new and you're wondering, what the heck is zero? What does that even mean? The very heartbeat of our church, the very longing of our church is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. In fact, we believe Jesus changes everything. And the the thing that we're going after, the thing that we're longing for is for Jesus to change lives. And we believe that he still does that. We believe he's still in the business of changing lives. And so I want to spend the next five weeks walking through just different stories in the book of Acts where we see Jesus changing things for people. Where we see Jesus bringing dead things to life and imprisoned things to freedom. Where we see Jesus moving in really powerful ways. And so we're going to spend some time walking through these different uh, zeros that are listed on the banners on this side of the wall over the next several weeks. And the one that we're going to talk about today is zero unconnected in community. Now, earlier this week, I posted a C.S. Lewis quote on my Facebook page, and I modified it a bit for this morning, but the quote goes something like this. It goes, community is born at the moment one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. How many of us have ever had a moment like that, where we have a connection with somebody else because there's this common bond that we experience? My wife, who I honored just a minute ago that I'm going to pick on a little bit now, she was a homeschool student. She was a homeschool student as a middle and high schooler. And uh, every time she meets another homeschool student, she goes, you turn your own butter too? You you make your own jean skirts too? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, man, that's bad. I thought I was the only one. It is talent. You are right. And you know what? Pretty much 99% of people are homeschool students now, so I guess I shouldn't tease that too much. Uh, But maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe you had a job where you worked in retail or at a restaurant, and you've heard the statement before, ain't no friends like your work friends, right? Because they know, they know what it's like to work with you on a daily basis. They know what the job is like. I worked at Panera for like five years, and we had a running joke that people actually paid $9 for our frozen mac and cheese. Like, it was a funny thing. Like, you too, I thought it was the only one who thought this. Common bond forms community, doesn't it? Community is born at the moment when you can say to somebody else, you too, I thought I was the only one. It is common bonds that form community. And here's, here's the tension, here's the problem. When we lack community in our lives, we find ourselves often asking the question, am I the only one? When we choose isolation in our lives, we find ourselves believing the lie that maybe we are the only one struggling in our marriage right now. When we choose isolation over community, we can find ourselves in a situation where we might believe we're the only one struggling with how to raise our kids right now. In this crazy world that we're in. 
we can find ourselves believing that we're the only ones struggling with anger or mental health issues or whatever it might be, when we choose not to be in community, we can believe the lie that I am the only one. And yet, the community of the church is designed to have such a strong common bond that we actually never have to say again, am I the only one? In fact, story after story in the New Testament shows this vision for the the community of the church that is united, that is pulled and held together by such a strong common bond. And I believe when we live into that, things change. Jesus changes lives. So we're going to look at a story today uh, from Acts 16. And... uh, in this story, we're looking at the, the two people, Paul and Silas. And so before we get into the text, I just want to set up real briefly what's happening here. So Paul and Silas just got in a little bit of a trouble because they just cast a demon out of a slave girl. And this girl's pimps are not happy about that. They basically, these two men, cut off this exploitive business practice kind of cut off their revenue stream that they were making off the slave girl. And so the mob and the government go after Paul and Silas. And I want you to check out what happens in verse 23 here. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, upon Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, the jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, time out just for a second here. Because what's happening here is these two men are essentially being tortured. They were beaten within an inch of their lives. They are not doing well right now. But to make matters worse, they're put into prison. And it says here in the text that their feet were fastened into stocks. Now, these aren't just like handcuffs for your feet. This was actually a torture device that was used to stretch out the limbs to cause extremely painful muscle cramps. To the point where it is excruciating. And so this is the situation that Paul and Silas are in, in this moment as they're thrown into prison. And to make matters worse, Paul is a Roman citizen and they were completely denied due process for this situation. Just completely denied it. So this is a, this is a pretty serious case of an injustice against Paul and Silas. And this is what happens next in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying... <laughs> and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What are they doing in the middle of the night? They're singing. They're, they're worshiping. They're praising Jesus. There's joy. Now I want to ask the question, how is it that two men in an incredibly bleak situation can express and experience joy in that? Because they have a common bond. It's because they have a common bond in the person of Jesus Christ. That is how they experience joy. Now, if you're the jailer, if you're the jailer in this moment, what are you thinking right here and right now? If, if I'm the jailer sitting there, are you thinking, man, I want some of what they have, or are you just really annoyed at this point? I'd probably be like, shut up already. Like, st- why are you singing right now? In fact, this jailer, he would have been a man who most likely had served in the military for the Roman Empire, uh, jailers, actually, this was almost like a cush retirement job. So you served faithfully in the military, and then you were almost rewarded with a job like this where you could retire, where you could kind of spend out your days watching prisoners. And so this is a guy who's most likely retired military. He's probably a blue-collar kind of guy, pretty straightforward. 
He's been through the ringer, maybe perhaps a bit cynical, perhaps a bit jaded. And the question remains, even for a man like this, how does a community of joy emerge from a prison cell? How does a community of joy emerge from a prison cell? Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi right now. And a little bit later, Paul would write a letter to this church called the Philipp- called Philippians. And Sam read a, a section of this passage earlier, but I, I want to just revisit this again from a different translation here. This is what Paul says to this very community that he was once imprisoned in. He says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about a common bond here. We don't have to guess what brings Paul and Silas joy in prison. We know what brings Paul and Silas joy in prison. We know what binds them together. It's the person of Jesus Christ. You know, when I look at how common bonds are being formed in our world today, i got to be really honest. I'm, I'm pretty grieved over it right now. Because the way that so many of us are forming common bonds is we're finding our tribe that happens to have the same opinions that we do. And so our common bonds, our communities these days, are often found not on the person of Jesus, even in the church. But they're more often founded on, well, who has the same opinion about masks or a vaccine or whatever it might be as I do. And we separate into this awful tribalism. And yet Jesus, Jesus ought to be a stronger common bond than anything else. I've heard this said before. Some of you are not going to like it. But people often leave their church for their politics. They never leave their politics for their church. You don't see that happening. Do we have some idolatry happening in the world right now? Yes. And yet Jesus Christ is a stronger common bond, a community in the church, I want you to hear this, community in the church ought to be something altogether different than the, what, how the world is forming community right now. Community in the church ought to be found, founded solely on the person of Jesus Christ and the unity that is found through his work on the cross. That's how community is built in the church. It's not finding these people with the same opinions as you and saying, these are going to be my people and I'm going to do life with them. No, it's actually finding people who may have different opinions than you, may have different perspectives on the world, but are united in serving Christ. And what you do is you journey together towards Jesus and you talk about those differences. I'm not saying avoid them. I'm not saying don't navigate them. I mean, there are some people with some very bad ideas right now in the world. That's fair. That's fine. But in the church, it looks different. We walk towards the person of Jesus, and we navigate our differences, and we call each other out as we're journeying together in love. That's the community of the church. So this common bond This common bond is so strong for Paul and Silas, but I want you to watch what happens. It gets even stronger. Watch what happens next in Acts 16, verse 26. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. In the words of Michael Scott, well, 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 how the turntables... 
no Office fans in here. Okay. Or Brad's just really bad at Office quotes. That's fine. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So all of a sudden, this jailer and his prisoners are equals. It's no longer oppressor and oppressed. They are, the doors have swung open, the chains have fallen off, and they are equals. And this jailer is terrified because even though he has a comfortable ex-military job right now, the one catch with it is if you lose your prisoners, you lose your life. That was kind of the deal. You lose your prisoners, you lose your life. And so when he sees these doors swung open, his immediate thought is, shoot, I'm in a mess. I'm in a disaster. He knows at this point that if he were to return home, he would be cast out of his community. He would be cast out of belonging. He would be cast from his very life. See, in this moment, the jailer no longer belongs anywhere. Anywhere. No community, no belonging at this point when he believed that the prisoners had escaped. And so we often read this question that he asks, what must I do to be saved, as an overly spiritual question. Like, what must I do to have salvation or get into heaven? That's not what the jailer is asking at all here. A translation of this, a way that you could understand this and should understand this, is the jailer is just essentially asking, what must I do to get out of this mess? I'm in a mess right now. What must I do? This isn't an overly spiritual question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to get out of this mess that I am in in this moment? And this is the same exact question that I believe many people who are starving for community are asking today. What must I do to get out of this mess? What must I do to get out of the mess of my marriage? Like, is there hope for my marriage? What must I do to get out of this mess when I'm the only one who feels totally alone right now, or I'm the only one who's navigating this deep financial crisis, or I'm the only one navigating job loss, it's the same question we asked at the beginning. Am I the only one? What must I do to get out of this mess? And in this beautiful way, I, I, want, I don't want you to miss this, in this beautiful way, Paul and Silas seem to not answer the question that the jailer asked, but answer it even deeper at the same time. This is what they say to the jailer. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 31 here. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Paul and Silas' answer seems to be an answer to a question the jailer isn't even asking. But in fact, it's it's a deeper answer than that. Because what this jailer sees is that Paul and Silas sacrificed their own freedom for his life as a jailer. They had no motivation to do that. What this jailer sees is that he is a brutal man, a Roman soldier, and he has seen the fist of the empire come down on people over and over. This jailer knows evil for evil. This jailer knows tooth for tooth. This jailer knows what it means to experience justice. And here is Paul Here is Silas. Here's a group of men who seem to be calm, 
cool and collected when their gates have flung open and they remain. See, they weren't changing the subject. They were offering a deeper invitation. Hey, jailer, look around. The world's pretty messed up. It's, it's not as it ought to be. It's broken. Human rebellion is global. Idolatry runs rampant in the church. Corruption defines the most powerful human governments and the most ordinary human families. Jailer, you are staring at two men who were treated unjustly by sinful human systems, yet when given the opportunity for freedom to leave, we chose to stay. We gave up our individual liberties for your very life. That's what Paul and Silas do. Paul and Silas aren't changing the subject. They're inviting this jailer into a whole new kind of community, unlike anything he has ever experienced before. They are inviting him into a new family with a more powerful common bond than military service, with a more powerful common bond than partisanship, with a more powerful common bond than whether pineapple belongs on pizza or whatever, whatever your common bond might be that you find with other people, MSU versus U of M, whatever it might be, there is a more, yeah, I went there, I'm sorry. There is a more powerful common bond than any of that. And for Paul and Silas, that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so what happens after this in verse 33 is so beautiful. And the jailer took them, the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Do you understand how absurd this situation is, this new community that emerges because of Jesus? Like this jailer that was involved in inflicting these wounds is now washing the wounds of his prisoners. That's what Jesus does. This, this system that beat up and outcast Paul and Silas, they are now breaking bread together in home, which is the ultimate symbol of fellowship in the Bible. They are breaking bread at equals at the same table. Guys, Christian community flips the world on its head. It flips the world upside down when it's done right. When the bond of Jesus Christ is so powerful in a community, people start to notice. Like, have you ever seen a married couple that just, you wonder what, like, how they belong together? Or, like, what, what like, gets them? That's what people should see when they look at the church. Like, how can those two people be in community with, oh, that's unexplainable except from the power of Jesus Christ. That, that doesn't make sense. The, those two go together? That's, that group of people is in community. That is weird. That doesn't make sense. It's only through the common bond of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. You know how, <laughs> you know how water and oil like don't mix, right? They they don't mix. We've all experienced that before, right? They you put them together and they, like water separates and and they just don't mix, unless what? There's an emulsifier. There's a common bond. Mayonnaise, right? Oil, water, and what? Egg. Right? That's what Jesus does. He takes people who otherwise shouldn't 
mix. And he binds them to each other. He binds them together in the most powerful common bond imaginable. Jesus is the common bond that empowers us to forgive, to serve, to love sacrificially. Like, think about this. Paul and Silas, the the earthquake happens, and immediately they forgive this jailer. It's like, you just a few hours ago had put us in shackles that are literally torturing us, and bam, we're free, you've accepted Jesus, we've forgiven you, and now we're brothers. We're not enemies anymore, we're brothers. Think of how powerful that, like how hard that would have been to, for Paul and Silas to forgive this jailer that quickly, that instantly. But that's what the community of the church does. It keeps a shockingly short record of wrongs. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And while that's been used in many marriage services, he's not talking about marriage, although it certainly applies there. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the community founded on Jesus Christ. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It is a shockingly short list. You know, as I think about Paul and his story, and we're going to look at his story in the series of meeting Jesus, but if you know anything about Paul's story, it looks pretty similar to this jailer's story. Paul was once in the business of torturing, killing, imprisoning, all in the name of what he thought was a just system. Do you think he sees himself in this jailer's story? Like when he invites this enemy into fellowship as a brother? You too? (laughs) I thought I was the only one. You, You too? You have a broken and sinful and messed up past you too. I, I thought I was the only one. Jesus has, has done something in your life. You too? Man, like I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be in a community like that. The next one here is that there's a radical humility displayed in this new family. There's this radical hospitality, a willingness to leave old things behind and to be bound together by the presence of Jesus. There's an old rabbinic saying, this is this, Jewish rabbis used to say this a lot, if two sit together and the words of scripture are between them, the divine presence rests between them. Now if you know your scripture, that sounds shockingly familiar to Jesus' words in Matthew 18, where he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, my presence is there with them. By the way, he's talking about conflict there. He's talking about this tension, this thing that like, doesn't seem to be able to be resolved. And he says, when two or three people who are in conflict with each other sit together, my presence is the great common bond that can resolve even that. Maybe, maybe this is a story about the power of sacrificial care for one another. Because that's another mark of Christian community. The jailer washed their wounds. He cared for them. They broke bread together. He got baptized. What must I do to get out of this mess? Some of us, the solution to the mess that we're in is to to devote ourselves to a Christian community of sacrificial love and sacrificial care for each other. Where we wash each other's wounds. Where we walk with each other in the junk and the messed up parts of this life. Where we suffer long, long time with each other. Long-suffering. You guys, 
putting yourself out there in community is always at risk. There's never not risk involved. But when it works, when the community of the church built on the person of Jesus Christ works, it is the most beautiful thing you can imagine. It's beautiful. It's stunning because what happens is one couple who is struggling with their marriage gets connected with another couple who has struggled in their marriage, and together they journey together. One, I just I didn't even have this in my notes, but like there's a guy that I've spoken to in our church who has a history of struggling with finances and not really knowing how to be generous with what he's given, and God took him on a long journey to find financial freedom and to be ridiculously generous with the money that God has given him. And now he wants to start teaching classes in our church to help others do the same thing. That is the beauty of the community of the church, that we can walk with each other and help each other do just that. You see, it's easy to look at the early church and romanticize them and say, they have something we didn't, we don't here. But the reality is, the early church, like, the, the book of Acts is just filled with messed up people who made a lot of mistakes, who didn't have it all together. The early church, <laughs> the early church was a mess, guys. They had conflict. They had segregation. They had incest, drunkenness, like, during the church service. I did have a drunk guy stand up at me one time and yell at me during the sermon. That's fun. Um, they had false teaching. They ignoring the poor. They were a mess. But here is what they understood, and I believe this is so true for you and I today. This is what they understood. That Christ is a more powerful common bond than blank. Christ is a more powerful common bond than blank. What would fill in your blank there? Christ is a more powerful common bond than my mess? Christ is a more powerful common bond than my opinions? Christ is a more powerful common bond than my preferences, my pride, my apathy? What would you fill in the blank with there for you? Christ is a more powerful common bond than When we, when we understand this, when we understand this truth, it frees us to love people who the world might call unlovable. It frees us to love each other right now as we are in the mess, in the brokenness, in the underwhelming parts of our life. It allows us to love each other messy and incomplete underwhelming and apathetic, frustrating and infuriating at times, but all together joining Jesus as our common bond. This is the power of the gospel in community. That it puts us together and allows the world to see us and say there is no other explanation for those people going together other than something beyond them. And we would say that's the power of Christ at work in us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. I want to um, just close today with a story. So obviously all of us know that yesterday was the 20th anniversary of September 11. And uh, I started watching this documentary a few weeks ago, and I know some of you have watched it. Um, it's a new National Geographic documentary. 
And uh, there are so many powerful stories that have emerged from September 11. I mean, just stories of hero- heroism and self-sacrifice and this beautiful picture of what it means to love other people well. Just beautiful stories. But there's one story that for me personally has risen above all the rest, at least for me and, and how it's impacted me. And it's the story of these two in the middle of this picture right here. The woman, her name is Jenny Ann. And uh, the guy's name is Ron. And Ron is a businessman who had a meeting in the Marriott at the World Trade Center on September 11. And before he's able to even get in for his meeting, a plane hits the North Tower. And Jenny Ann the woman next to him happened to be standing outside the North Tower and just jet fuel and all of the flames and fury of this attack fell on her body and just burned her from head to foot. I mean, she was just in a horrendously awful place because of this. And Ron sees her, and he decides that he's going to dedicate his entire day to seeing her rescued and seeing her saved, that he is not going to leave her side. And so they spend this time together. And they're at the base of these buildings, and um, there's no ambulance or EMT available to, to serve her yet. And so they are, they are right there together. And upon discussion, it emerges that they are actually both Christians. They're both followers of Jesus. And so Jenny Ann is, is obviously very, very, very distraught. Both of them are. And what Ron does in that moment is he says the Lord's Prayer over Jenny Ann speaks this Lord's prayer over here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. I mean, just on and on and on. And as he's saying this prayer, the second plane hits the south tower. And what Ron didn't know in that moment is that his sister and his young niece We're on United 175 as it hit the South Tower. Now that story, and and they don't leave each other's side for the rest of the day. I mean, he gets Jenny and the help. He gets her out of there. But the reason I think that story for me was so impactful is because as powerful as all of the bonds are that emerged out of September 11, right? Shared experience and shared trauma and shared difficulty and just shared ugliness, shared heroism. All of these things have created such a common bond for people who walk through September 11. But the reason for me that this story stands out is because the common bond in the midst of all of that for Ron and Jenny Ann was the person of Jesus Christ. That was their common bond. And then when we understand this, a whole new kind of a community emerges. The world, (laughs) the world should be looking at the church and seeing something even stronger than what emerged out of our country after September 11. Like that should be our MO. That should be our normal here in the church. Such a strong bond of community because we are united by the person of Jesus Christ. For Ron and Jenny Ann, it was Jesus who was their comfort. It was Jesus who was their motivation to sacrifice for each other. It was Jesus who ministered to them in the midst of tremendous loss. The same is true with Paul and Jailer, and the same is true here at New Life Church in 2021. That it is Jesus 
who unites us. So the question I want to kind of end with today as, as we worship is, who do you belong to in Christ? Who do you belong to in Christ? When, when life gets really hard, when you have these moments of, am I the only one, who do you belong to in Christ that you can go to and you can talk about this stuff and you can navigate it together in community and you can wrestle over it together? Who do you belong to in Christ? Your answer is no one. Can I encourage you in something? That's why the church exists. One of the biggest reasons why the church exists, so that you can have an answer to this question. I belong to this community. I belong to this family. Just like the jailer, just like Paul and Silas, I belong. In October, we are officially kicking off small groups for the semester. We have some tremendous small groups. We have small groups for moms. We have small groups for people of all ages, men, women, anything you can imagine. We have, we have small groups starting up. And uh, today is the very first day that signups are open for groups. And I'm not here to give you a sales pitch for groups. Like, I just preached as to why community matters in the church. But I am here to encourage you, to challenge you, that if you don't have an answer to this question, it doesn't have to be that way. The church has opportunities for just that to happen. Out in the new guest area in our lobby, there are, there's an iPad with signups on it. You can do it if you're watching online at newlifewayland.org slash small groups. But can I encourage you, can I challenge you to deeply devote yourself to Christian community this coming fall, even if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus just yet. Even if, even if, especially if you're doubting, especially if you're wrestling, especially if you're struggling, devote yourself to community this fall and watch what Jesus changes. And we are not going to let COVID get in the way of that this year. Because what we are doing is too important here. We've seen the detrimental effects of that not happening for the last year and a half.